Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you and the generous gifts of our listeners to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you and to the world. If you don't already partner with Fighting for the Faith, visit our website at fightingforthefaith.com and click on one of our friendly yellow buttons. One says join our crew, the other says donate. When you join our crew, you're signing up to automatically contribute $8.95 every month to the ongoing work and mission of Fighting for the Faith and Pirate Christian Radio. If you want to specify the amount, you click on the donate button or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and then send it to Post Office Box 508, Fishers, Indiana, zip code 46038. And let me thank you for your support. We cannot do what we are doing here without it. And now, on to the program. It's time for another edition of Fighting for the Faith, Tuesday, May 6th, 2014. Okay. Yeah, we're going to get to that. Just reviewing here. Thank you for tuning in. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Roseborough. I am your servant in Jesus Christ, and this is the program that dishes up a daily dose of biblical discernment, the goal of which, help you to think biblically, help you to think critically, and help you compare what people are saying in the name of God to the Word of God. Sadly, there is no shortage of crazy things being said out there. We take the time to slow down, stop, open up our Bibles, and compare for you know what is being passed off as Christian doctrine today to see if it actually is biblical doctrine, if this is what God wants us as Christians uh, to be believing, teaching, confessing, and teaching our children, catechizing them into that, although catechism is a word that no one uses anymore. That's kind of probably for another program. Okay, so let's, let's talk about what we're going to talk about on today's episode of Fighting for the Faith feel like we need to get right into it. Yesterday, I was not able to uh, get to our Star Wars Sunday <clears throat> news story, so I thought I would get to that. Uh, we were not able to get to our <laughs> latest prophetic update from uh, Glory of Zion. That would be uh, Chuck Pierce, where he holds sway. So we got a Pierce's Ponderous Prophecies update that I owe you. Um, then we have a Jennifer LeClaire update. Remember yesterday we uh, we were listening to Patricia King talking about the wilderness. Apparently this wilderness thing, dangerous stuff. I mean, you know, there, there's, there may be a metaphorical, allegorical wilderness out there that's about ready to swallow swallow you up and dry you to the bone. I mean... Who knew that you know one of the this was one of the major things that we as Christians face as far as dangers to us spiritually wildernesses. So um, we're going to be listening to a Jennifer Leclaire update and to get you know well listen to her talk about what to do when you find yourself in the wilderness. <laughs> and uh, then we'll take a break and then we come back from the break or however we do the break. We're going to do kind of um, an extended. Uh, I don't know what to, t to term this because it's not exactly a Roman Catholic update, but it kind of is, but it isn't. 
And uh, that is that uh, ever since that uh, Tony Palmer guy, remember him? He appeared uh, with a video from Pope Francis. He appeared uh, with that video in hand at a uh, recent Kenneth Copeland leadership conference. And we played for you portions of uh, Tony Palmer's message that translated the Pope's message for you. And this is one of those things that I I keep an eye out on as as I do my program prep. I'm looking for different topics. I'm you know, and, and so as I'm researching and and you know taking different things that I'm coming into that's popular out there, or, or you know maybe not even popular, just a great example of of a particular theological problem or error. You know, I I keep a database of this stuff, and um, I'm beginning to have in my database a growing number of well stories and snippets and evidences where over and again I'm beginning to hear clearer and clearer and clearer and more and more and more calls for visible unity within the body of Christ with people whom we probably shouldn't be uniting with. You know, for instance, the Roman Catholic Church. Um and uh, and the people leading the way now are those who are part of kind of the broader charismatic movement. There's a, there's a huge move afoot. And so we're going to be listening to a so-called prophecy delivered by the prophet, you know, self-called prophet, uh, Kim Clement. And then we're going to p- play for you audio from uh, the recent appearance of Tony Palmer on James Robeson's program. That's right. Yesterday, Tony Palmer appeared on James Robeson's program to once again, you know, play the Pope's video and um, and then talk about, you know, how we need to all visibly unite. And to which I would basically say to these people, not read their Bibles. And so it's a fascinating biblical argument. We'll actually take some time to open up our Bible and take a look at that. And um, and you know refute it, but this is one of those things that that um, has got me worried. It it really does have me worried because uh, this I think is one of the symptoms of the epidemic of biblical illiteracy out there. And there seems to be kind of like a, all heretical fronts are are advancing and and attacking at the same time. It's kind of weird. And so this one is one of the ones that I think you know, in the long run is one of the more dangerous themes. Now. Kind of let me you know, clue you in. You know, we've seen this a few times, n- notably uh, Kenneth Copeland's uh, thing, and of course, you know, I made a funny video of uh, that. We, uh, you know, Kenneth Copeland <clears throat> forgot to translate the tongues prayer that he gave for uh, Pope Francis. Uh, so we ended up uh, here at Fighting for the Faith providing a, a translation. You can find that on our YouTube channel. Uh, but um, but also keep in mind, remember Beth Moore's prophecy out there about this coming unity thing. Yeah, that's, again, got me disturbed. And, of course, Beth Moore, uh, she was at James Robeson's conference speaking about this prophecy that God had given her regarding some upcoming prophetic uniting move of the Spirit kind of thing, and that there will already be, you know, know, God was apparently warning her that there will already people be out there, Christians, who will say that it's not of the Lord. <laughs> well, I guess I got first in line. That would be me. I'm one of those guys already. I'm at the head of the head of the pack here. Yep, it, it's 
whatever she's prophesying, it ain't coming from God the Holy Spirit, that's for sure. And uh, and then now we've got another example of this with uh, uh, Kim Clement and uh, James Robeson. So this is one of those things where it's like ping, ping. We're starting to see more data points here uh, regarding visible calls for unity with the Roman Catholic Church. And um, it makes me think that uh, what I might end up doing is uh, putting a link over at fightingforthefaith.com for a book that you probably should purchase and read. It's a Kindle book uh, by Roland Bainton um, called Here I Stand, which gives us a history of you know, what kicked off the, uh, the, the Protestant Reformation and specifically focusing on the life of Martin Luther and his rediscovery of the gospel and, and all of that kind of stuff. When you read that historical account... Then you can maybe read uh, like the Book of Concord, uh, specifically the Augsburg Confession and the uh, Apology of the Augsburg Confession, and maybe even the power and primacy of the Pope or the small called articles in the Book of Concord. And, uh, and just ask yourself, how, how are we supposed to unite with the Roman Catholic Church when they've never repented of anathematizing the biblical gospel? So we, you know, it's one of those things. And, and by the way, does the church call us to unite with people who uh, preach and teach a different gospel? I don't think so. So we'll take a look at that today. And uh, and then in hour number two, we're going to be going to Bayside Community Church and uh, listen to part five of their sermon series entitled Best Vacation Ever. Ever. Best Vacation Ever. You know, I mean, we're getting close to the summer season here. I mean... Makes sense. I mean, as we're getting close to the summer season, we might want to talk about, you know, summer vacations and things like that. And uh, so I, uh, Rand, uh, Pastor Randy Bezit is the uh, one delivering the sermon. And apparently the premise of the sermon series is that they're talking about different vacation destinations in order to teach a biblical principle. And uh, so, yes, <laughs> weird premise for a sermon series. But uh, that's how we'll round out today's episode of Fighting for the Faith. We've got a lot of ground to cover and I recommend that we just get right to it. Make yourself comfortable. Fuzzy bunny slippers do enhance your listener experience. Um, unless, of course, it's really hot in your neck of the woods. Uh, then if your feet sweat and stuff like that, it doesn't actually help with the tracks. But, you know, we're always about the uh, the listener experience here at Fighting for the Faith. So we're going to get right to it. And um, from the uh, fox2now.com website, the headline reads, Star Wars Sunday Celebrated at Bellevue Church. Now, one of the things I would like you to consider is that um, ask yourself this question. How did the Fox News affiliate up in uh, Bellevue, uh, Illinois, in and around the Bellevue, Illinois area, how did they find out about this Star Wars Sunday service and send a news crew out in order to cover the story and and make sure that the story was featured as one of the kind of local oddity type of stories? Well, it's real simple, okay? Uh, The church sent out a press release. That's how they found out. And it seemed like an interesting enough story that it ended up making the local news. And so uh, here's the um, KTVI uh, St. Louis affiliate uh, for Fox and their coverage of a Bellevue, Illinois church that this past Sunday celebrated um, May the 4th be with you, apparently Star Wars Sunday, now, which is kind of weird because, you know, it's a, it's a United Presbyterian church. 
And, you know, I understand that, you know, in the liturgical calendar, oftentimes if you look, there's, you know, there's feast days and days when we remember particular apostles or events in the life of Jesus or maybe even a martyr or something like that. But I never heard of a church liturgically celebrating um, Star Wars, uh, considering the fact that uh, Star Wars, again, teaches a form of, you know, monistic Buddhism and, um yeah, that whole religion around the Jedi's is uh, is extremely antithetical against Christianity. But <clears throat> I digress. So uh, here's the uh, KTVI Fox News affiliate story regarding a church that celebrated Star Wars on Sunday. Here we go. May the fourth. It's become an unofficial holiday, Star Wars Day. You see people marking the occasion from sporting events to charity fundraisers, and now, as Fox News Andy Baker reports, even at a Belleville church. <laughs> Perhaps seeing Gungans and stormtroopers at church. He ran and put his arms around him. And hearing Princess Leia read the gospel shouldn't seem so strange. Okay, now this is kind of weird. You can't see what's going on, so let me describe to you what I'm seeing here. The gal reading the gospel text um, had the Princess Leia buns going on. And, of course, the church has a, a projection screen and so the background for the project uh, for the verses that were projected while she were re- she was reading uh, was you know starry galaxy kind of thing here. Stormtroopers do go to church every once in a while, especially when it's May, uh, May the fourth. The- yeah, and so this is a gal who's uh, a member of a Star Wars club that uh, was invited to, you know for Star Wars Sunday at a United Presbyterian Church. Fourth be with you. So. <laughs> Star Wars Sunday at First United Presbyterian Church in Belleville put more than 300 people in the pews. Yeah, they won't come out for Jesus, but man, they might come out for Anakin Skywalker, you know. Children flocking to their pastor and raised almost $900 for needy families from nearby churches. Oh, well, see, we shouldn't critique them because they, they, they raised money for needy families. <clears throat> when the church gathers... Um, to you know to meet what do they gather for to be entertained to raise money for charity or do they gather to be served by jesus to receive his word to partake of the lord's supper to you know to baptize and things like that what's the what what is the reason that the church gathers to celebrate star wars one two three Excellent. It also lured three stormtrooper-clad members of the 501st Star Wars Club, which boasts 6,000 members nationwide, into church for Star Wars Sunday. And this is about more than just raising money for charity. The Star Wars message really seems to resonate just about everywhere. The Star Wars message, not the message of Christ and him crucified for our sins, but the Star Wars message. It resonates everywhere. Well, if the Star Wars message is resonating everywhere, I mean, if we want to grow our churches, we better preach the Star Wars message and jettison Jesus, you know? Even at church during the Sunday sermon. At last, we will have revenge. For First United's pastor, Reverend Bob Dyer, who came up with the idea for Star Wars Sunday, it was almost as if the Star Wars story came right out of the Bible. Yeah, and how is that possible? Again, the Buddhist monistic religion of Star Wars is, is I mean, literally an enemy of biblical Christianity. He's not just saying, I love you. He's saying, I will protect you. I've got you. 
And it was hard to tell if he was preaching about the prodigal son or the return of the Jedi. And then it became revealed that indeed this entire movie series is not about Luke Skywalker. It's about Anakin Skywalker who becomes Darth Vader and eventually finds reconciliation. Uh-huh. And eventually finds reconciliation. Wow. Why don't you uh, open up your Bible and uh, tell us what the Bible says about those people who were reconciled to God the Father through the shed blood of Jesus Christ, since your job is to preach the Word, not Star Wars. And redemption. Listening to the message, it makes sense. Yeah, so that, that girl who said, hey, it makes sense. I mean, she was part of the Star Wars club. She's not even a member of the congregation. She said, well, okay, all right, yeah, it makes sense. Fascinating story. And perfect for this day. This is a God who says, you, you who are broken, who are hurt. May the 4th be with you. Andy Banker, Fox 3 News. All right, well, it sounds like he tried to weave the gospel into it, but does that even justify what happened here? What is it with, with these churches that Jesus isn't enough? The, I mean, is the job of the pastor to entertain unbelievers with the story of star wars or to preach christ and him crucified open up the word and preach the good news what all of this stuff is a distraction and if you really think you really think that this is what grows a church okay you know we got to get them in well the thing is is that they're not going to stick around for very long if you don't continue to dazzle them and entertain them what you draw them with is what you have to continue to feed them in order for them to stay because the the thing that was the draw was the entertainment. So what? what's next week? You know, Star Trek Sunday? And the weekend after that? I mean, Fred Flintstone Sunday? You got to keep them coming. You know, got to keep entertaining them. Oh, man. Very, very frustrating. Moving along. Chief, babe, what do you want to do tonight? The same thing we do every night, Pinky. Try to take over the world. The Pinky and the Brain is Pinky and the Brain. One is a genius, the other's insane. Laboratory mice, the genes have been sliced. The Pinky, the Pinky and the Brain, 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 Brain. Yeah, time for new apostolic reformation update. Before each night is done, their plan will be unfurled by the dawning of the sun. They'll take over the world. They're pinky and the brain, yes, pinky and the brain. Their twilight campaign is easy to explain. To prove their mousy worth, they'll overflow the earth. They're pinky, they're pinky and the brain, 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 brain. All right, what you're about to hear, it be, it, well, it's from the uh, Glory of Zion website. This is from their current Prophecy and Revelation Center. You can find this at gloryofzion.org. And uh, we're going to hear uh, Pierce's uh, ponderous prophecies, but this is kind of a unique one in this sense. What you're going to hear at the beginning is a guy supposedly speaking in tongues, and he's not. Um, and then uh, Chuck Pierce is going to get up and translate and give us the prophetic message that this uh, gentleman was apparently giving. And what I find fascinating is is that <clears throat> the translation that Chuck Pierce gives us, if I'm convinced it needs a translation itself because it's really not even lucid. But uh, I don't know the name of this kid who's... Uh, oh, wait, here we go. His name is Akajam Ot Koa. 
and uh, he's going to uh, be speaking in tongues, and then we'll hear the uh, translation, but we need the translation of the translation to really understand what's going on, because (laughs) what we're going to hear doesn't make any sense. Here we go. Apparently that means something. Yeah, he's screaming at us. Ha! Okay. Now, pay attention to what what you're hearing verbalized here. Because no joke. uh, One, two, three, four, five paragraphs. (laughs) Apparently these these are tightly packed, very condensed words. Uh, that he's speaking in some unknown language, and uh, you can unpack them, and you know, one word maybe equals uh, an entire paragraph. Yeah, he told you. I mean. Notice the repetition. Na 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 maye na 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 maye. All right, okay, all right. Maye, maye, maye. All right. Maye. Yeah, well, back at you, man. Okay, now that was literally thirty-nine seconds. Thirty-nine seconds of apparently, you know, a direct revelation from God. Mm-hmm. Now comes, well, longer than thirty-nine seconds. A, a translation, direct revelation from God. You know. This, uh, whatever that guy was saying, whoo, very packed, very dense. I mean, so dense that, you know, those few vocables that he threw out there, you know, they, they turn into entire paragraphs. <clears throat> yeah. And I think we need a translation of the translation because the translation doesn't make any sense. So what was that guy saying? Well, here's Chuck Pierce to, tell, to fill us in. Here we go. <laughs> Let me, let me begin the interpretation of this. All right. If one of you other prophets... Ha- <laughs> little, little behind. Just down. Oh, yeah. He, he can't prophesy without music. Part of the interpretation was that. Uh-huh, right. Was the sound. And I would say to you, this will be a week of soaping you up. Uh, So that's what that guy was talking about. He's talking about soaping me up. So apparently this is all about bathing. For this is a time that I must wash off that which has attached itself to you. Like leeches? I mean, so something has attached itself to me. So we need to use some kind of spiritual soap to get the spiritual leeches or dirt off or something. For your body has things attached to it. Gross me out there, dude. Yuck. That I must watch away. For many cannot see the true identity that I have for my people. I say to you, you're going to laugh when I uncover who you really are. Uh huh. So God's going to uncover who we really are. In other words, kind of strip us naked after soaping us up, and then we're going to laugh. Okay, that's weird. Um. And- Okay, just want to remember that what we heard from that guy, blah, 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 mama, you know, whatever he was shouting at us, 39 seconds, okay? We're not even halfway through paragraph one of the 39 seconds there. You're going to laugh when I remove and untie a treasure that's been covered over. 
and untie a treasure that has been covered over for you. Blue sleeps faster than Tuesday. I have no idea what that sentence means. I say you're going to laugh when I begin to dust off what you thought was old and make it new. I say to you, the shaking that is going on will now be followed by the soaping. The shaking will now be followed by the soaping. Okay. So watch where the rains fall, for now I will wash away a film that has been covering over that place for you to step into, saith the Lord. I have no idea what he's talking about. All right. I say that the shaking that is going on will now be followed by the soaping. So watch where the rains fall, for now I will wash away a film. Maybe Star Wars is going to get washed away. Uh, that has been covering over the place for you to step into, saith the Lord. So that's part of the translation. And um, does any of that make sense to you? I, it doesn't make a bit of sense to me. And it was weird that, I mean, he, you know, he went on and on and, uh, you know, we short little vocables turned into all of that. I could belabor the point, but I think you get what I'm saying here. Um, this isn't the biblical manifestation of tongues. Okay. Um, when we read about what happened on the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit arrives and uh, you know, and you know, visibly is there manifesting as fire and tongues of fire descend on the disciples, and they begin to proclaim the wonders of God. They actually did so in languages that people could understand. And when they did so, they proclaimed the glories of God and you know the the, the gospel, and you know, people from around the world who were in Jerusalem at the time were hearing the gospel in their own languages. And it was quite the miracle. Um, this, on the other hand, ain't that. That, what we just heard there. Um, did we hear the wonders of God? I, I mean, unless God is some kind of like blithering idiot um, who is incapable of any kind of lucid thought, I don't think we, uh, we heard anything about God at all. All right, we're up on our first break. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com, or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian, or follow me on Twitter. My name there, at pirate Christian. Quick break when we come back. We have a Jennifer LeClaire update, as well as kind of a Pope Unity Catholic Church thing update. Don't know how to classify it yet. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. If you think God is a black woman named Papa, then you need to get out of the shack and read your Bible. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. You're listening to Pirate Christian Radio. We'll be taking your false doctrine now. <laughs> Church Day Select. 
I do wish these planes would give us passengers more leg room. Hey, let me help you with your luggage. Oh, thank you so much. What in the world do you have in these bags? Bricks. Bricks? I'm a door-to-door brick salesperson. I'm not even going to ask. Ladies and gentlemen, the captain has turned on the fastened seatbelt sign. If you have not already done so, please stow your carry-on luggage underneath the seat in front of you or in an overhead bin. Please take your seat and fasten your seatbelts and make sure your seat back and tray tables are in their full, upright, and locked positions. Thank you. Thank you, Brittany. In case y'all don't know me, I'm Mark Driscoll, and I'm going to be your pilot for today. Oh, dear. He looks more like a terrorist, if you ask me. If any of you passengers feel at any time that you could pilot this plane better than me, then you'll be slippery thrown under the bus. I mean plane. As you may have noticed, there are also no parachutes on this flight, which means, should you be thrown off the plane, that your landing will be unpleasant. We thank you for flying Mars Hill Air with us today. I guess it's time to take off, then. Well, let's just hope our flight to Boston will be nice and easy. New Jersey anyway. That's it. God, please escort this man to the back of the plane for violent ejection. Hey, I have my rights. You can't do this to people. Oh, but I can. I can't believe that just happened. There's something seriously wrong with all of this. Uh, this is your captain speaking. Do not be alarmed. You are now free to move about the cabin and do as you please. Just whatever you do, don't question my actions or authority. So you're a brick salesperson, huh? Yep. But why on earth would you want to talk about something like that at a time like... Oh. Yeah. I'm thinking it's time that Mr. High and Mighty got relieved of his duties. And it is now time for you all to buckle your seatbelts and hold on tight because we are about to start doing barrel rolls. He's going to do what? <laughs> Remember to always trust your pilot. I know what I'm doing. Oh, I do believe the ground is getting awfully close. Pay more for travel than you need to. Hi, Chris Rosebro here to tell you about Pirate Christian Radio's featured advertiser, Cheapo Air. Cheapo Air is a leading provider of airline tickets, hotel rooms, and rental cars. Cheapo Air has extensive partnerships with the top travel brands in the world. Now, whether you need to travel for business or for pleasure, Cheapo Air can help you save money. And if you visit our website, piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap, we have a promo code that will save you an additional $10 off of Cheapo Air's already 
low prices. So visit piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap, write down the promo code, then click on the banner and book your low-cost travel today. And remember, a portion of your purchase at Cheapo Air goes to support Pirate Christian Radio. All right, we're back. Warning, so much of what passes off as, you know, speaking in tongues isn't. That's not the biblical manifestation of of speaking in tongues. That's something completely different. Just a reminder, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you, your generous gifts, and financial contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you into the world. And you can partner with us by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you'll see our two friendly yellow buttons. One says donate. The other says join our crew. When you join our crew, you're signing up to automatically contribute $8.95 every month. That's it to the ongoing work and mission of Fighting for the Faith and Pirate Christian Radio. And that is a great way to support us. Of course, if you'd like to specify the amount that you would like to contribute, you could do so by clicking on the donate button or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and then send it to Post Office Box 508 Fishers, Indiana, zip code 46038. Let me thank you for your support. We cannot do what we are doing here without it. Moving along. So apparently this this wilderness thing, I mean, it's it's really dangerous. I mean, the, the, there's a wilderness out there that just wants to suck your bones dry. I mean, who knew? I mean, and here's Jennifer LeClaire of uh, Charisma Magazine from her Jennifer LeClaire YouTube channel discussing what to do when you find yourself in a wilderness. Here we go. Hey, it's Jennifer LeClaire. You probably know me from my books on the prophetic ministry. And, you know, as a prophetic voice, as one who operates in prophetic ministry, I have gone through my fair share of wilderness experiences. And I've learned during those times. I I try to... Do you bring water with you on these wilderness experiences? I mean, what is with all this wilderness experience talk? (sighs) Always learn from every experience that I have, good or bad. I want to learn what I did wrong so I don't do it again, right? And I want to learn... So is a wilderness experience a punishment for doing something wrong? What I did right so I could do more of it. I I, I want to learn the ways of God. I want to learn what moves God's heart. So because you weren't moving God's heart by something that you did, notice works righteousness here, God punishes you with a wilderness experience? (laughs) Where is this taught in the Bible? And certainly in the wilderness, I wanted to learn why I was there and yeah. how I could get out, you know? Yeah, so, I mean, whatever you do, don't upset God or or don't not please him enough. Otherwise, he's going to throw you into a wilderness experience. And if you are anything like me, then you probably feel the same way. And so today I want to talk to you about three reasons why you might be stuck in the wilderness right now. Three reasons why you might find yourself in the wilderness today. So let's dive into that here. You know, here's the deal. You know, God didn't promise us a bed of roses that there would never be trials or tribulations. As a matter of fact, Jesus said there would be trouble in the world, didn't he? He did. So, we, you know, we walk through peaks, all of us. We walk through valleys, and we have wilderness experiences. That's just part of it. Yeah, but you just said that it was because you did something wrong. 
It's part of the walk, especially if you're in prophetic ministry. And I, I believe there's this continual making process that I talk about in my. So this is so wilderness experiences are particularly uh, a danger and a threat for those in prophetic ministry. Well, there is an argument for uh, against you know wanting to be a you know in prophetic ministry. Both the making of a prophet. There's this continual making process. It never ends. I mean, you, you know, you, you, you get some things taken care of, but then there's always something else. And that's the same for any Christian. Uh-huh. It's the same for any believer. I mean, we all... Okay, I, I have to ask the question, where does the Bible teach this? I mean, how is it that, you know, Christians for millennia have missed this important thing about how if you don't do something enough to please God and you're in a prophetic ministry, you're going to find yourself maybe being punished with a wilderness experience? Or constantly being worked on, being transformed into God's image. Uh, sometimes we go through the wilderness. So, But here's the deal. There's, there's a big difference, right, between being a voice crying in the wilderness and obedience to God. Mm-hmm. Voice crying in the wilderness. Um, you're applying that to yourself. That was specifically referring to John the Baptist. Wow. I mean, I mean, just, I mean, it's the hubris here. The arrogance is, uh, prophetic arrogance is quite breathtaking. And finding yourself stuck in the wilderness, going around and around the same mountain over and over and over and over and over. You got, you, you know, you got a little rut there formed around the mountain. And if you're in a rut. So there's mountains in the wilderness and you end up having to circle them in a con- continual pattern of. Okay, and where does God threaten to punish us with the wilderness and making us march around mountains? Hey, listen up. See, I've experienced both of these realities, and I can tell you... Well, clearly, you've done something to upset God. ...that, you know, being a voice crying in the wilderness is liberating because you know you're smack dab in the center of God's will. And I, I never minded being a voice crying in the wilderness. I was Until you find yourself wandering around the mountain in the wilderness, and you have to figure out what you did to upset God never in a hurry to get out of the wilderness. I knew that God would reveal me in his time. The latter is frustrating because you know you're absolutely missing it. When, you, when, you, when you're stuck in the wilderness, when you're doing... Missing it is a good way to describe it. Uh, Jennifer, I really think you've completely missed the whole point of Christianity altogether. Why are you chasing after these weird ideas of yours rather than filling your mind with God's word? And what God's word really reveals there and, you know, sound biblical doctrine and things like that. I mean... Did you just make this theology up from your own personal experiences? What you see the same old patterns, the same old thing over and over, and it's like you know when will I learn? Well, why is that devil always manifesting at this time of the year? What is going on? You know, there, there, it could be. Ay, ay, ay. Talk about the blind leading the blind. This is, this is, I feel like I'm listening to a blind person describe their travails as they wander the landscape and keep falling into ditches and things like that and wondering and bemoaning the fact they can't see where they're going. A demonic pattern has nothing to do with the wilderness or it could be a, a wilderness issue. Uh huh. Wilderness issue. Do you have wilderness issues? Well, Jennifer Claire, Le, LeClaire would like to help you, but she's still kind of working through formulating her theology so that uh, she, she can help you in your attempts to get out of your wilderness experience because you, you have wilderness issues. <laughs> We've traded sound biblical doctrine for this nonsense. 
Of course, if you don't have a revelation of why you're in the wilderness, if you're antsy for your big coming out party, even though it's not God's timing. So when God finally lets you out, you have a coming out of the wilderness party. What if during your party you do something that upsets God and he throws you back into the wilderness? Uh, how is this how is it that people are listening to this stuff and think that this has anything to do with biblical christianity we it's like we've been invaded by ridiculous and everyone's believing the ridiculous and then you, you actually you know here's what god's word says and you read a biblical passage and everyone goes no there's no way i don't believe that because <laughs> you don't know what biblical christianity actually is you're going to be frustrated also you know, so how do we sort of interpret these wilderness experiences? Because we all have them. Uh-huh. Well, with help from the Word of God and the Spirit of God, that's the only way. Right. So we need help interpreting our our wilderness. Do we, do you have some kind of like wilderness um, test kit, wilderness experience test kit? You know, either like for, see, here's the deal. I mean, it's I'm kind of thinking that you know, based on your theology here, that wilderness experiences are kind of like being pregnant. You're either, you know, you either are or not having a wilderness experience. It's like you either are or not pregnant, right? You know, and so you know, what if you've misunderstood, at, you know, that you're actually having a wilderness experience? So we we need to develop some kind of like fighting for the faith. Uh, you know, Max Holiday's Los Lobos uh, Ministries. Uh, wilderness experience test kit so that you can actually objectively verify whether or not God has actually put you into a wilderness experience. You know, for you, we need to actually affirm that this is actually really happening and that not just a, a, a misinterpretation of events on our part. But then, you know, if you test positive for having a wilderness experience, then clearly you're going to need something to, uh, you know, to figure out uh, you know, what is it that you've done that's upset God that he's put you into this wilderness experience and uh, and causing you to march around mountains and stuff like that? And then furthermore, we got to kind of figure out, OK, so how long are you going? To, you know, is this a short term wilderness experience, long term? And, you know, about when in the future, you know, can you expect to be released from this wilderness experience? Um, and then, you know, so that you can plan the party. When you get out of it, I mean, what is this? I mean, you you read God's word. None of this. There's nowhere that talks like this. There wasn't an apostle, a prophet, or Moses who said anything of the sort, or Jesus. I mean, this is utter and complete nonsense. How is it that people think that this is biblical Christianity? It doesn't make any sense to me. We have been literally invaded by the ridiculous. <clears throat> talking about the ridiculous, by the way, um, we need to move along to our next segment. And since I'm not exactly sure how to classify this, I'll do this as a Roman Catholic update because it, it's kind of like that, but not exactly. You know, you all understand what I'm saying. So uh, let's do this. That's right. So uh, apparently the Pope, through his emissary, uh, Tony Palmer, and now the prophet, self-styled prophet, Kim Clement, has you know got the imprimatur of the charismatic prophets now speaking that it's now time for visible Christianity to recognize that the man of the hour that God has chosen is none other than Pope Francis himself. 
So, yeah, in fact, <laughs> and that this is what God wants us to do, to visibly unite with the Roman Catholic Church. So let me go ahead and kill the music here. And we're going to begin with uh, Kim Clement. Now, if you're not familiar with Kim Clement, I really wasn't too familiar with him until very recently myself either. And um, this is a guy who, um, let's just say stage presence and performance and stuff like that, uh, this guy's got some serious chops. And um, what we're going to be listening to is a portion from their Easter service. And uh, during that Easter service, he's kneeling down in front of a cross praying, and he immediately goes into some kind of ecstatic utterance uh, where God is uh, declaring a prophecy regarding none other than Pope Francis himself, Um, which, again, is really creepy. But combine this with the other stuff, you know, again, this is just another data point. Um, There is becoming a louder and louder cry, charismatics leading the way. Uh, for visible unity with Roman Catholicism. Mm-hmm. Uh, here's uh, Kim Clement, and what we're going to be doing is listening to the tail end of his prayer, and then he leads into um, this prophecy uh, delivered uh, during Easter services uh, regarding Pope Francis. Here we go. Broken hearts. You still receive damaged souls. And so we bow before you and thank you for your sweet love. Here comes the prophecy part. As I stand at this cross, there is one that I have chosen. Notice that Kim Clement is speaking in first person. Apparently he's channeling the Holy Spirit. Who has kneeled at this cross many, many times. I speak of the one who calls himself after St. Francis of Assisi. Of Assisi. Okay. All right. Now, again, he's channeling the Holy Spirit. So by, by me actually saying that this isn't God, the Holy Spirit speaking, I'm committing a mortal sin, apparently. The Spirit of the Lord spoke for him to come. And stand at the head. But this man is not like any other, says the Lord. Mm-hmm. Okay, this is creeping me out. This man has been appointed to join the hearts of Protestant faith, Catholic, those who are spirit filled. And I will do something so unique and so different, says the Lord. Now, consider the implications of what it is that you're hearing. Let's assume for a second, play along with me hypothetically, that Kim Clement is actually channeling God the Holy Spirit. Now, I know that sounds silly, but let's just pretend for a second that this really is a manifestation of God the Holy Spirit. What does that mean? That means that the will of God is that Protestants and Catholics and Charismatics all visibly unite. Okay, now just work with me for a second. Therefore, if you say, uh-uh, I ain't uniting with, the, with Rome, no way, until they repent of anathematizing the gospel and all that kind of stuff, right? Um, well, then 
who is the one who is viewed as being in the wrong? I would be considered in the wrong. Why? Because I am contradicting the will of the Lord through the prophet Kim Clement. Yep. In other words, I mean, if God's really the one speaking through Kim Clement, then I am in deep spiritual kimchi. That's just how it goes. And you know what? I'm willing to risk it all. You know why? Because I know what the written word of God says, and I know that all scripture is God-breathed. Therefore, because God doesn't lie and he doesn't contradict himself, I know with certainty that Kim Clement is not hearing from God the Holy Spirit. But understand this, all the people who follow Kim Clement online, all the people who show up at his worship center, all the people who send his television ministry money, they believe he's a prophet of God. And they believe that they're hearing from God the Holy Spirit through him. So you see what's really at stake here? Um, By saying this ain't from God the Holy Spirit, and I'll prove it to you from the scripture when we get to the Tony Palmer part. Um. Yeah, um, we've got a we got a real problem. We've got a real problem because this is not only going to call for unity. I mean, unity among all different denominations. But if you say no to this, you are going to be seen as contradicting the will of God for the world and for the church. And uh, that means that there's going to be some pretty serious repercussions for me and for you. Um, for speaking out and saying this is not a message from God. Because of his acknowledgement of my power, there is a renewal that will take place that will far surpass what took place in the 60s and in the 70s. My spirit will not be confined, neither will it be arrested, only for one or two groups of people. My eye is on the globe. My eye is on the earth. My eye, says the Lord, is upon planet earth to pour out of my spirit. And I have chosen Pope Francis as one of the voices that will speak. And he will command. And they will try and assassinate him three times. They will try within to damage him. God says they will even try to poison him. But his voice will not be stopped, says the Lord. I will cause people to to run to the cross. People to cling to the cross. Yeah, that's right. Apparently, uh, according to the prophet Kim Clement, uh, the Pope is going to be, uh, there's going to be three assassination attempts on his life, one of them being poison. Many souls shall come, and then God says there will be a change in the entire system. I will make a change for what Martin Luther did 500 years ago, and when he nailed a thesis to the door and said, this is it. We believe that by faith we are saved, which is a gift of God, saved unto works, not by works. God's spirit says so. It shall be that this man shall pronounce that as well. And there shall be fire that shall ignite in the southern in the southern part of America. In the central part of America. And there shall be criminals that shall be brought to justice. And God says this man shall change laws and there will be creeds that will come forth. And the, 
ethnic people shall rejoice and they shall smile again for I will fill them with light I will light the candles of my incense in the buildings that, that were once built for my glory but were taken and used as stone as a place of refuge as a place of religion I will take those same buildings throughout the earth and I will raise them up and in Italy I will do something that is so anointed and strange they shall have two earthquakes and then you will know that God has begun to do his work throughout the earth this is my word says the Lord pray for it shall come to pass says the Lord come on go all right so there you go I'm kind of almost um Chuck Pierce style there but uh Kim Clement has way better chops than even Chuck Pierce so uh, if you doubt this and uh, you all, you, you're just opposing God and you, you're in a lot of trouble, um, kind of in that same vein then, uh, I want to share with you uh, audio from a recent uh, video uh, from the, actually yesterday's episode of Life Today with James Robeson where he had uh, Bishop Tony Palmer on the program to appear to talk about uh, this, you know, call for unity by the Pope. They played the same video that was played at the Kenneth Copeland Leadership Conference. And um, and then after the video was played, uh, there was some very interesting things said by Tony Palmer that were not challenged by uh, James Robeson, but were actually, how shall I say, affirmed and kind of caught up and, and, uh, and amend, if you would, stuff that uh, contradicts the written word of God. And we have got a real problem here. Who are you going to believe? Are you going to believe the written word of God? Or are you going to believe these people who are claiming direct revelation from God, calling us to unite with people um, despite their theology and their doctrine? Yeah, here's the follow-up to the Pope's video being played on James Robeson's program yesterday. Here we go. Pope Pope Francis, let me just say to you that I see Jesus in you and in Christ. We are brothers. We're family. Thank you for speaking the language of love, that all may come to know him and love him and love one another. Tony, that uh, is, is incredible. I have had a longing in my heart for many years now to see the prayer of Jesus answered that we be one with the Father God through Christ perfected and sanctified in truth not divided by it um, that sentence doesn't make any sense perfected and sanctified in truth but not divided by it is that statement true or false you get what I'm saying here there's a problem here and then perfected in unity the supernatural unity Jesus prayed for. I personally feel like this is a step in the right direction for us to really come to Christ and not be separated, brethren, not divide over differences as we see them. Uh, Divide over differences as we see them? What does the Scripture say? How we're saved? Are we to be praying to saints? Are we saved from purgatory by buying indulgences? We may not even see clearly. And we tend to look at our view as the only view, and sometimes we don't even hear truth at all. And he said, while thinking that his view is the only view. See, diversity is divine. It's division that's diabolic. 
And we often, because of our insecurities, we are unable to handle and to hold in tension diversity. For us, we think that something different is something wrong. And it's not. It's just something not the same. <laughs> and and God we, likes that, by the well, way. Well, look at the creation. It's we the see diversity all Absol around us. Absolutely. Uh, diversity is divine, without a doubt. It's the division that is diabolic. And what's important for, for us to understand that Jesus' prayer in John 17, Jesus' theology, is that if God is in you, and you're in God, and God is in me, and I'm in God, we are one together Absolutely. in God. Absolutely. Now, I, gonna, I just wanted you to hear that without me interrupting so you can kind of see the shape of the argument and what's going on here. Now, does the Bible teach us to have doctrinal diversity? Is that what Scripture says? says? If the Bible's all about diversity, then why do we have passages like this? Titus chapter 1, talking about a pastor. Verse 9, he must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught, so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and to rebuke those who contradict it. For there are many who are insubordinate, empty talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision party, and they must be silenced, since they are upsetting whole families by teaching for shameful gain what they ought not to teach. Now one of the Cretans, a prophet of their own, said Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, and lazy gluttons. Well, this testimony is true. Therefore rebuke them sharply, that they may be sound in the faith, not devoting themselves to Jewish myths and the commands of people who turn away from the truth. Hmm. Yeah, if the Bible's all about diversity, why did Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, not talk about the importance of doctrinal diversity, but instead actually said that we're to put it down, to rebuke those who teach contrary to sound doctrine? Hmm? That doesn't make any sense to me. Romans chapter 16, verse 17 Paul, again, writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, says this, I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Avoid them. For such persons do not serve our Lord Christ, but their own appetites, and by smooth talk and flattery they deceive the hearts of the naive. Huh? Here Paul is telling us, actually God is telling us through Paul, to avoid people who cause divisions by their false teaching. But in fact, who is it who is causing the divisions in the body of Christ? It's the false teachers. Yeah, keep in mind that the Roman Catholic Church systematically fought against God's word being published in the vernacular of common people throughout Europe and the world because they knew that when God's word would be published, everybody would see that the system that they had created during the Dark Ages, the, the religion that they had set up, including all of the indulgences, the prayers to the saints and the relics and all that nonsense, that all of those were human inventions and false doctrine and teaching. And they put to death those people who were translating the Bible into the common vernacular. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Who's caused, who caused the division here in the body of Christ between the Roman church and, the, and Protestants? The Romans did. 
through by not repenting of their false doctrine. And Scripture tells us not to unite with them, but it says to avoid them. Now, I know God the Holy Spirit was speaking through the Apostle Paul. Why should I believe that God the Holy Spirit was speaking through Kim Clement, who was calling for unity between the, the Pope and the Roman Catholic Church and the Protestantism? Hmm? How about Second John? Second John says this, For many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. Such a one is the deceiver and the antichrist. Watch yourself so that you may not lose what you have worked for, but may win a full reward. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, in fact, here's what it says. Everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting. By the way, that's talking about a church. Uh-huh. If if God the Holy Spirit wants us all to be united and just consider all of these dogmatic differences to be of n- n- they are nothing. God loves diversity and diversity is divine but division is demonic. Scripture says that the divisions were caused by false teachers and tells us to avoid those who are teaching false doctrine, to rebuke them, to not welcome them into our churches or even in, or even greet them. So who are you going to believe? Are you going to believe Kim Clement, Tony Palmer, James Robeson, Ken Copeland? Or are you going to believe the Apostle Paul and the Apostle John? We've got a real problem here. I mean, this is, this isn't a game. This is a demonic deception of the highest order, and there are now these calls for visible unity between people despite doctrinal differences, all in the name of the latest move of God the Holy Spirit. This isn't the Holy Spirit doing this. The only, the only entity that could possibly behind, be behind this is the devil himself. Why does the devil want visible Christianity to unite? And the, notice they're putting out, well, this is the heart of Jesus. This is what he wants. We can finally thank God that, God, that Jesus' prayer to the Father that we'd all be united is going to come true. And yet the unity they're calling for is exactly the unity God's word says not for us to have. Big problem. I'm not one. I'm not united in you. I'm united to you in Christ. Why should I be believe I'm united to you, Tony Palmer? Why? You, what you're calling for, the unity you're calling for, is directly contradicted by the clear teaching of God's word. And this is the hope of glory. Jesus prayed, Father, the glory you've given me, I have given them. What is this? <laughs> no, no, no. Jesus is the hope of glory. glory. The glory, Paul, Peter, it was Paul who wrote, he said, that uh, glory, the hope of glory is Christ in us. Absolutely. And so we need to recognize this and be and understand that unity already exists. It's a scriptural fact. Our sin is that we don't make our unity visible because we allow our diversities to divide us. Um, again, how on earth can I be united in faith, in Christ, with people who deny salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, by Christ's work alone? Paul says that if somebody brings a different gospel, they are anathema. How can I be united with you in Jesus when you deny the fundamental doctrine of the Christian faith? 
How, how I oh, man, this is this is beyond belief here, and extremely deadly and dangerous. So again, more data points along the road here, and uh, these data points uh, again, yeah, just tuck them away. Well, I'll keep an eye out to see if more data points arise, but I find it fascinating that uh, we're now beginning to see with regular occurrence outright calls for visible unity in the body of Christ between people that, you know, as, as, as a historic, you know, subscriber to the historic Christian faith, the historic Catholic faith, I can't unite with Rome. So... So here's my dilemma. Who am I going to believe, God's word or them? I'm going with God's word on this, and I hope you will too. All right, we're up on our second break. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkbackatfightingforthefaith.com, or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Christian, or follow me on Twitter, my name there, at Christian. Quick break. When we come back, we have a sermon review about the best vacation ever. Yeah, don't want to miss it. We'll be right back. No itching ears are scratched here. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. High Ridge Christian Radio Theater presents Death of a Salesman. Are ye a salesman? Why, yes, I am. Can I interest you in some... You're listening to High Ridge Christian Radio. No, seriously. Starfleet wouldn't have lasted two minutes against the Death Star. Say what you want, dude. Why can't you admit that Star Trek created proton torpedoes first? So what are you saying? Without proton torpedoes, Luke Skywalker would never have been able to destroy the Death Star in the first place. Nuh-uh, bro. He had the Force. You mean metachlorians? That never happened. Those movies were just bad fanfics. Have you two seen any Daleks around here? Uh, no. That's funny. We just picked up a distress signal and decided to check it out. Well, we haven't seen any... Come on, you two! Get in! Run! Never fear, nerds of the world. It doesn't matter whether you're into Star Wars, Star Trek, or Doctor Who. Think Geek has something for almost every fandom around. Celebrate your love of all things nerdy by going to www.piratechristianradio.com forward slash geek. And by clicking on the ad banner, a portion of your purchase will go to supporting Fighting for the Faith and Pirate Christian Radio. We're back. Hour number two of Fighting for the Faith. Sermon review time. I don't think we've reviewed a sermon by this guy. I may be wrong. Bum, bum, bum. 
All right, let's do this right. Hey, ho. The good, the bad, the ugly. We review it all here at Fighting for the Faith. We're an equal opportunity sermon reviewing service. Today's sermon comes to us via Bayside Community Church. They're a multi-site with uh, Campi in Bradenton, Florida, Sarasota, Florida, and Wachula, Florida. The name of the sermon we'll be listening to is Best Vacation Ever, and it's uh, delivered by Randy Bezet. Yep, and uh, we're going to pay close attention to what he does with God's Word. It's not that he doesn't open God's Word. He does. But he's not paying attention to the context. As a result of it, he's seeing something in the text that he's uh, preaching from, some kind of a method that we need to do in order to experience joy, which really isn't what that passage is teaching at all. So let me go ahead and kill the music. And without any further ado, here is Randy Bezit and Best Vacation Ever. Here we go. What's happening, everybody? How are you guys? Let me just tell you, I am excited about this week because we're in Louisiana. And I'm wearing my favorite colors. So, sport my team. Woo! This might be the most Holy Spirit-inspired service you've ever been to because I'm wearing LSU. Okay, well... Anyway, why don't we try something different? Why don't we welcome those watching online in our campuses as well? Come on, let's give it up for those guys. Man, it's not even football season yet, and y'all already kind of staring at me like, sit down and shut up. So anyway, if you want to wear your team's colors, go start a church stand. You can wear them. I'll wear my colors. All right. So anyway, we, we've been in this series, right? The best vacation ever. That's right. And so we have been taking trips all over, uh, really, the U.S. and uh, and using those as really uh, teaching points, not just really to have a good vacation, but how to have a good life. And so this week we're in Louisiana, which has to boast. So, I mean, wow. I mean, that is so kind of him. I mean, it takes sermon time to not only help people pick good vacation destinations here in the United States, but also to help them, ha- you know, experience the good life. Because, you know, Christianity is all about experiencing the good life, applying tips and trips and principles so that you can experience the good life. Because if you, you know, if you upset the Lord, he'll throw you into a wilderness experience. Yeah, that could be a mess. The question, right? So what in the world is he going to talk about as we're in Louisiana? So everybody knows that people from Louisiana are fun loving. Come on, isn't that right? You're going to pass a good time when you're hanging out with Boudreaux and Thibodeau, huh? Come on, everybody say, pass a good time. All right, now let me tell I'm going to have to teach you guys how to do it. If I'm taking you to Louisiana with me, you're going to have to learn how to do it. So Cajuns were real lazy, all right? So your tongue, it never stays, it, comes, it stays on the bottom of that mouth, right? And so when you talk like that, then you sound like a Cajun. So everybody try it again and say, pass a good tongue. Woo-wee, hey, you did it right there. Look at all that culture you're learning right there. 
So in Louisiana, we like to pass a good time. We like to have a lot of fun. Come on, laissez bon temps rouler. Let the good times roll. And so we, we like to have fun. And not only uh, is fun and, and joy and enjoying life a part of vacation or a part of being a Cajun, God wants us to enjoy life. Come on, I think Christians ought to have the most fun. Amen? Mm-hmm. How many people think Christians ought to have the most fun? Now, see, this is one of those things where you got to challenge the premise, all right? The premise is that God wants Christians to have a good time. This might be, uh, well, what we call an over-realized eschatology. And what I mean by that is this, is that, you know, when we talk about the end times, we, you know, for the, the day of judgment for the world is going to be, it's not going to go so well. But for Christians, it's going to be the inauguration of new heavens, new earth, kicked off by the great wedding feast of the Lamb, right? And so, yeah, God wants us to have a good time then, but does he promise that? for us now. And so, you know, the, the, the world to come, it's going to be, we're going to be said, we're going to be entering into our rest, right? It's going to be the great Sabbath rest. Uh, the re- the, in fact, the reality that the Sabbath itself was pointing to, if you would. And so, um, but as Christians right now, is that what it is that, um, that we're supposed to be experiencing? And so um, let me uh, take uh, the reason I say that is because Jesus said, take up your cross and follow me. Mm-hmm. De- yeah, cr- crosses go with crucifixions and crucifixions have to do with suffering and torture unto death. Right. And so um, let me read again from Second uh, Corinthians chapter 11. I'll read a couple of portions from Second Corinthians chapter 11 to kind of get our bearings here, because I would argue that Second Corinthians chapter 11 doesn't actually argue that God wants us in the here and the now or promise us in the here and the now to have a good time. OK, Second uh, Corinthians chapter 11, Paul talking about the super apostles. OK. Um, he says, I wish uh, you would bear with me a little foolishness. Do bear with me, for I feel a divine jealousy, for since I betrothed you to one husband to present you as a pur- pure virgin to Christ. But I'm afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. For if someone comes and proclaims to you another Jesus than the one we proclaimed, or if you received a different spirit than the one we received, or if you accept a different gospel from the one you accepted, well, you put up with it readily enough. Indeed, I consider that I'm not in the least inferior to these super apostles. Even if I'm unskilled in speaking, I'm not so not knowledgeable. Indeed, in every way, we have made this plain to you in all things. Okay, And he says, or did I commit a sin in humbling myself that you might be exalted because I preach God's gospel to you free of charge? Right. So Paul goes on in this chapter to... Um, distinguish himself from the super apostles. And it seems that part of the super apostles message was, uh, well, this, this great things happening to you in the here and the now. I mean, this is part and parcel of the scratching, itching ears type of messages that were warned about in scripture. But Paul then goes on to, you know, kind of be foolish if you would. And here's what he says. Now I, I repeat, let no one think me foolish, but even if you do accept me as a fool so that I too may boast a little. So what I'm saying with you, with this both with this boastful confidence, I say not as the Lord would, but I'm talking as a fool. So Paul's going to talk as a fool here. It says, since many boast according to the flesh, well, okay, all right, I too will boast for you gladly bear with fools being wise yourselves. For you bear it if someone makes slaves of you or devours you or takes advantage of you or puts on airs or strikes you in the face. 
To my shame, I must say, we were too weak for any of that. But whatever anyone else dares to boast of, well, I'm speaking as a fool, I also dare to boast of that. So are they Hebrews, these super apostles? Well, so am I. Are they Israelites? Well, so am I. Are they offspring of Abraham? And so am I. Are they servants of Christ? Well, I'm a better one. Now, I'm talking like a madman. With far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings, and often near death, five times I received at the hands of the Jews the forty lashes, less one. Three times I was beaten with rods, once I was stoned, three times I was shipwrecked, at, at, and a night and a day I was adrift at sea, on frequent journeys, <clears throat> in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure, and apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Who is weak and I am not weak? Who is made to fall and I am not indignant? Yeah, um... Is that the kind of God wants you to have a fun life message that um, Randy Bezit's preaching? You know, the fun life, you know, drift, you know, beatings and all that kind of stuff. Hmm, there's a problem here. And that is the presupposition behind the sermon doesn't actually match what Scripture says. Jesus says, take up your cross and follow him. And so um, the Apostle Paul clearly, I mean, he went to many exotic uh, vacation destinations, but didn't really enjoy the vacation aspect of it. He was persecuted, beaten, stoned, and all things like that. Hmm, weird. We continue. I mean, we're making the journey, and God is on our side, so we ought to be passing a good time, right? And so we're going to talk about how to do that, which let me give you a Boudreaux joke as he was on vacation. So we're going to be talking about how to do that because God wants you to pass a good time. Pause, pause. Yeah, he said you got to stick your tongue down the bottom of the roof. God wants to pass a good time. Yeah, okay. Do so I sound like a Cajun when I do that? No, God, nowhere in Scripture does it say God wants us to pass a good time. All right. So if you, don't, if you don't know, I'm from Louisiana, so we tell a lot of Boudreaux jokes, which is a, a great common last name for people from Louisiana. So Boudreaux was on vacation here in Florida, and he saw this gator going across the road. So he picks it up and puts it in the back of his truck. And this state trooper sees it and pulls him over and says, you're not supposed to have that. Boudreaux said, man, I'm sorry. I didn't know. He said, you got to take that thing to Bush Gardens right now. So Boudreaux said, yes, sir. So the state trooper sees him about a week later, and Boudreaux still has that gator in the back of his truck. And the state trooper pulls him over again and says, I told you to take that gator to Bush Gardens. Boudreaux said, man, I did. We had so much fun. We're going to Disney World. <laughs> I don't care who you are. Come on. That right there is funny. Yeah. All right. So God wants us to enjoy life. He wants us to have joy. He wants us to pass a good time. Uh-huh. Again, what verse were you reading that said that? And Jesus didn't come on this earth and endure all the things that he endured so that you and I could be stressed out and depressed and bummed and not not living the blessed life, right, that God wants. <laughs> right. Like the Apostle Paul, you know, he was stoned three times, was shipwrecked, denied to see. Yeah, and he said, uh, and he talked about all the anxiety for all the churches. Wow, Paul, boy, he, that guy just didn't understand that Jesus died on the cross so that he can pass a good life. Uh huh. 
Yeah, so here's the problem with the sermon. The premise is wrong, therefore, because the premise is wrong, whatever Randy does here, he's going to misread the Scripture because he's approaching the Scripture from the completely wrong starting point. If this is what he believes the Bible's all about and this is what God wants for you, so he's going to go scouring the Bible to look for things that say this, and he's going to end up reading his presupposition and his premise into the biblical text. Us to live. So Jesus teaches on this concept or this principle of joy. Come on, everybody say joy. If you have your Bibles, turn to John chapter 16. We're going to... Okay, so he said, if you have your Bible, turn to John chapter 16. Now, before he teaches, I'm going to teach, okay? John chapter 16, if you are familiar with Scripture, this should alert you to something here. You see, John chapter 16... What's the context? What's going on in John chapter 16? Well, the full context of John chapter 16 actually begins in John chapter 13. In fact, if you have your Bible, flip back a few pages to John chapter 13, verse 1. Let me give you the context, okay? So this portion of John, the narrative begins here. Now, before the Feast of the Passover... When Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper He laid aside his outer garment and taking a towel, tied it around his waist, and then he poured water into the basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with a towel that was wrapped around him. So this it's Thursday night, the night before Jesus is going to be crucified. They're celebrating the feast of the Passover. And, uh, well, things are, you know, things are going to go badly for Jesus. And so we're in the upper room. That's where we're at. And then begins Jesus's kind of final teachings. Chapter 14, still in the upper room, Jesus says, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you that I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. And you know the way to where I am going. And Thomas said to him, Lord, we we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except for through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. So this is all part of the discourse, right? Verse 15, not verse 15, chapter 15. Then Jesus, still in the upper room, says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me. And I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches, whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. 
By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Okay, this is all part of that discourse. So you, you, you get what's going on here. If you, if you notice in your Bible that John chapter 15, all red letters, John chapter 16, all red letters, this is part of this entire discourse. So if you think of it this way, is that two of the longest discourses of Jesus, the first one is in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, the Sermon on the Mount. Next longest discourse is here in this section, chapter, John chapter 13, 14, 15, 16. Um, this is all part of this very long teaching discourse, and uh, the Apostle John has given us kind of the skinny on what's going on. So that being the case, let's keep reading then in John chapter 16. I'll start at verse 1 so we can get the context, and I'll read a little bit so you can see what's going on. Jesus said, I have said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think that he's offering service to God. That's right. John chapter 16, verse 1 doesn't talk about the need to have, that Jesus wants you to have the good life. Jesus is warning the disciples that there's a time coming when people will believe that if they kill the disciples, that they will be doing a service to God. That's how sick and twisted things get, right? And that, and they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. But I have said these things to you that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you. But now I am going to him who sent me. And none of you ask me, where are you going? But Jesus, but because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if, if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment concerning sin because they do not believe in me, concerning righteousness because I go to the Father, and you will see me no longer concerning judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak of his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine, therefore I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Again, a little while, and you will see me no longer, and again a little while, and you will, and, and you will see me. So some of his disciples said to one another, what is this that he says? A little while and you will not see me, and again a little while and you will see me? And because I am going to the Father? So they were saying, what does he mean a little while? We do not know what he is talking about. So Jesus knew that they wanted to ask him. So he said to them, is this what you are asking yourselves, what I meant by saying a little while and you will not see me? And again, a little while and you will see me? Truly, truly, amen, amen, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for the joy that a human being has been born into the world. So also, you have sorrow now, but I will see you again and your hearts will rejoice, 
and no one will take your joy from you. In that day, you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Until now, you have asked nothing in my name. Ask, and you will receive, that your joy may be full. I have said these things to you in figures of speech. The hour is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figures of speech, but will tell you plainly about the Father. In that day, you will ask in my name, and I will do, and and and, and I do not say to you that I will ask the Father on your behalf, for the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. Okay, now this is what's going on here. Okay, so the disciples are distraught. Jesus is saying he's going to leave, go away. Uh, you, you can't follow me. You're going to be sad when I'm gone, but then the day is coming when you will have joy and you will see me and you will ask nothing of me on that day. So Jesus here is talking about the fact that he's going to the Father, that he's departing, he's leaving after the, you know, after his crucifixion. His time with the disciples isn't going to be like this, and eventually he's going to ascend into heaven, and then their joy will be they will have joy again in the, after had the sorrow of having Jesus depart, they will have joy again when they're reunited with him again in the in the in his kingdom, right? So this is what Jesus is talking about. You now know the context now let's see what Randy Bezit is going to do with this text from his best vacation ever sermon where we've already determined that the premise of the whole sermon is way off. Study a passage of scripture there where Jesus talks about joy. Well, uh, if you look in your notes or if you have your U version, you can look at it there as well or it'll be on the screen. So Jesus says this. He says, as the father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love so that my joy may be in you. Circle those two words. This is an important. We're going to get to in a moment these two words in you. And that your joy may be complete. Now notice here that uh, Randy hasn't given us the context of this passage. As a result of it, none of the listeners at his church know that this, you know, what's going on here. Don't know that this is the night when Jesus is going to be betrayed. He's just told the disciples he's leaving Okay. Now, in you, so joy, you must understand this. Joy is this. It's an attitude of confidence that comes from relationship with God. Okay. Joy is an attitude of confidence that comes from... So he thinks this is about Jesus telling you something that you should do so that you can have joy. Wow. Talk about completely missing the point relationship with God joy that's why he says this joy will be in you it's not based on what happens in your life okay it's not based on circumstances it's not based on external things but that's why he said this joy will be in you it's not based on happenings it's not based on circumstances but joy your confidence or this attitude of confidence comes from god it's relationship with him and he puts it inside you so i want to talk to you about this joy and there's there's a way that you and i can have this joy jesus breaks it down and describes it and so there's a way we can have this joy so we're gonna you're gonna give us tips and tricks and methods where we can have this joy this passage isn't teaching us to you know methods or things that we do in order to have this joy he teaches us how to have this joy, not happiness. Come on, not, not just being happy or happy because of circumstances or situations, but this joy. Come on, everybody say it again. Say joy. joy. 
All right, here's the first thing you have to understand about this joy that Jesus is describing. And that is, in order to have this joy, you must recognize God's process. You have to recognize God's process. I don't recall Jesus telling the disciples in John chapter 16 that, listen, I I want you to have joy, but you need to recognize my process for delivering that joy to you. Or the process that God uses to get joy in you. All right, so here we are in John 16 now. So Jesus says, I tell you the truth, you will weep and mourn, but your grief, look at this, will turn to joy. We're going to get to that in a, in a moment because this is describing the process of your problems turning into or God's process. No, it's not. This is not Jesus describing the process of turning your troubles into joys. Why are they troubled? Because Jesus is about to leave them. He just said he's going away. Of getting the joy. Then Jesus, he's an amazing preacher, all right? And he uses sermon illustrations all the time. And so he then uses this as an illustration. He says, a woman giving birth to a child has pain because her time has come. But when her baby is born, she forgets the anguish because of her joy that a child is born into the world. So with you, now is your time of grief, but you will rejoice and no one will take away your joy. Now, when I read that, I can't help but thank God I'm a man. Come on. And that shows you're completely missing the point doubly. Oh, all the men said, come on, give me a deep. Amen. That's right. Because I don't know, ladies, if you understand this or not, but you're more of a man than we are. Because there is no way in the world we would do that. And even if we were crazy enough to, like, talk ourselves into saying, well, I know everybody else says it hurts and all that, but it won't happen to me because men are not that smart. We might rationalize in that mindset and go, oh, I can do it. Even if we could rationalize and think about doing that, we would only do it once. Because we're too weak to do that again. And all the ladies said, that was much louder than the from the guys. And so, but I've I've seen this process. and, And men, I know our job is not to birth them. Amen. But it is to be a cheerleader. And our job is to cheer them on and push them out, shove them out, way out. And now he's stealing uh, Bill Cosby's comedy lines. Right? That's what we do, right? And everyone thinks this is just the best sermon ever. They're laughing so hard. And yet, the deadly truth about this sermon is they're being deceived. And they're not actually being taught God's word correctly at all. In other words, they're kind of laughing their way to hell. Push them out, shove them out, way out. Hey, I mean, that, that's what we do, right? And we cheer you on and you get mad at us. And, and you did this to me. Well, you asked me to. We won't even go there. That's a whole nother topic. Okay. We're not even going to go there. Yeah. Okay, I didn't say that. All right. So, and I've seen my wife go through that process, and she's so sweet. But when that pain, that grief of that childbirth hits her, it's like, where did my sweet wife go? And then I thank God for epidural. Woo! 
Jesus, that's, that's a miracle drug because then I got my wife back. I like that girl right there, you know. So, so the other three, she walks in backwards like, just go ahead and hook me up epidural right there, you know what I'm saying? So that was, that was a good thing. But, but then the women, you guys, you go through all this pain. And you, ah! and then the child comes and you're like, where's the baby? And then the, I'll never forget the first child. I was so scared to tell her, you know, because the, the, our child was born. And I walk over there to give it to her and I'm like, Congratulations, you just gave pound to an, uh, ver to an eight pound lizard. I mean, this thing, like they changed colors three times, you know, it's like, what is this? Can it put it back in and let it cook some more or something? I don't know. It ain't ready, you know, it's just. <laughs> it's, <laughs> yeah, he sure did spend a lot of time making sure that he had those jokes that he stole for a stand up comedy portion of the sermon, that he had those down. So that he could deliver them correctly and get the exact right laugh that he was hoping for. If only he had spent as much time focusing on making sure that he was rightly handling God's word. Because at the moment, he's too busy to actually do that, you know, deliver God's word. He's, he's, he's getting the all-important laughs to make it so that when people leave, they think, oh, that was the best sermon ever. I haven't laughed that hard in a long time. But again, um, they're not being taught God's word correctly, and that is a crime. We continue. So, but, but she gets that child, and the, the grief of just like moments before is gone, right? You, you've all, you, you understand that, right? So there is a process of having God's joy in your life, that that's a great illustration. Not that we have to give birth, praise God, but your grief, circle that word in your notes there, grief. It's the Greek word lupe, all right? Which- yeah, it doesn't matter if you are use- if you know what the Greek word for grief is here. You- you're not paying attention to what's actually happening in this text. So, I mean, it's nice that the Greek word, you know it, but you're not paying attention to the context in which it's being used. (sighs) Which means sorrow, pain, or annoyance. All right? Yeah, I'm experiencing that right now, the annoyance part. Lupe. Anybody know somebody that's loopy? All right, okay. How many of you sit next to somebody loopy? All right. In Louisiana, we call it couillon. They they couillon. That means they crazy. All right, so... You might have something in your life or someone or a situation that is grief, that's lupe, that's, that's couillon, that's causing you sorrow, pain, and it's annoying to you. But God takes that grief and he transforms it into joy. Here's, here's what you have to get. It's not a substitution. It's not like he takes the problem and substitutes it, takes that away and gives you joy. He takes the problem and he transforms it into joy. All right. Now, the problem that we all have, including me, is that I want to substitute the problem. When there's pain or there's an annoyance or there's something that's couillon in my life, I want to get rid of it. I want it to go away. And so people bail out on jobs or they bail out on relationships or they bail out on God or they bail. (laughs) This text has nothing to do with people who are thinking about bailing out on a job or a relationship. (laughs) I mean, where did you go to seminary? 
people out on whatever because they think, well, this isn't working out like I wanted to it, so we think we're going to substitute it and get joy. That's not God's process. See, the joy that comes from confidence in relationship with God, that grief is transformed and not replaced. It's transformed into joy. That's God's process. But too many... This text is not teaching that process. What are you doing? Times we, we give up. We, we just we throw in the towel. We go, oh, I don't want to go through all of that. And, and so we try to substitute. But here's what, here's what you have to understand. You can't put enough of new somethings in your life to give you real joy. We try that and we get a new something, whatever it is, relationship or something tangible. And we, oh, and then it, it only brings happiness. And then that's not real joy because it's not in here. It's based on happenings or circumstances. And then we get tired or it gets old or it's not the same anymore. Or they make us mad or upset or whatever. And then we try, we substitute again. And so we never really live in joy. Because God's process for joy takes those things and transforms it into joy. Paul describes it in Romans chapter 5 here. Look at this next verse. He says, we also have joy. Look at this. Okay, and he's changed translations. Uh, he went from the NIV to the New Century Version, which means he's using Rick Warren's Bible-twisting technique of uh, a different uh, translation for every time you're reading a passage. That's not good. Um, let me. We're going to apply context, context, context here. And this this particular passage that he's quoting from, He's handling it a little closer to the truth, but the problem is is that this is just a subset of the overall teaching that he's giving us from uh, John chapter 16, where he's supposedly finding some process uh, for transforming our suffering, our our couillon, no, that's the wrong word, lupe, into joy. And and so this, Romans 5 is supposedly uh, supporting this concept. But that's really not what's going on there either. Um, Let's take a look. We'll go back in the context a little bit here. Um, Verse 16 of chapter 4. That is why it depends on faith. Salvation depends on on faith, the promise. In fact, let me go to 13. For the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be the heir of the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if it is the adherents of the law who are to be heirs, well, faith is null and the promise is void. For the law brings wrath, but where there is no law, there is no transgression. That's why it depends on faith, in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all of his offspring, not only to the adherent of the law, but also the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations in the presence of the God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. In hope, he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations. As he has been told, so shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead, since he was about a 100 years old. Uh, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. That is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. But the words it was counted to him were not written for his sake only, but also for ours. It will be counted to us who believe in him 
who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Therefore, since we have been justified or declared righteous by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, a uh, different word there, by the way, thlipsis, and knowing that suffering produces endurance, endurance produces character, character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. For while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one might dare to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for our sins. Christ died for us. Now, here's the important part. Romans chapter 3, sorry, chapter 5, verse 3 and following is talking about joy, but notice it's a joy that's grounded in salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, by Christ's work alone. This is this is part of Paul's great argument for the central and core doctrine of the Christian faith, that we are saved by grace as a gift, not by works, not by keeping of the law. And because we have this grace, we obtained, uh, here's what it says, through him we also have obtained access by faith into this grace because of that. Not only that, but we now rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance. Because we are saved by grace through faith, we can now rejoice in our sufferings. Mm-hmm. knowing that suffering produces endurance, endurance produces character, character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's, give, who's been given to us. See, what this is not a process for joy apart from salvation by grace alone through faith alone. This is talking about how because we are saved by grace, we now are capable of, of rejoicing even in our sufferings, and our sufferings then ultimately per, you know, produce hope and joy in our lives because of that faith and grace that we are in. But here's the deal. Um, Randy here is skipped the part about salvation by grace alone through faith alone by Christ's work alone, and he sees Romans chapter three verses, um, sorry, chapter five verses three through five as a as part of the process for joy that supposedly Jesus had started in John chapter sixteen, and the two passages are not even remotely connected. They are not cross references, and they're not talking about the same thing. And he starts at verse three because he can't figure out what to do with the first two verses because they're hooked into what Paul was talking about in chapter 4 about salvation coming through a gift as a promise, as by grace, through faith. Ah, so he's thrown all of that away, and now he's just found the part about you know joy being produced in our sufferings, and he sees that this is supposedly part of that uh, joy-producing methodology that he sees in John 6, 16, but the... Uh, the two don't go together. We continue. With our troubles. In other words, not, not apart from, but it, it's in spite of and because of and with our troubles. And then he describes the process because we know that these troubles, look at this, produces patience. And then patience produces character. This is good stuff. And then character produces hope. And this hope will never disappoint us because 
He gave us his love through the Holy Spirit. Here's- yeah, and again, in the context there, that's all connected to justification by grace alone through faith alone. That's kind of the hinge of all of this. This is what I know about all of us. We want to get to the verse 5. We don't want to be disappointed, right? We want everything just to work out. Yeah, the weird thing about you is you just wanted to start at verse 3 and skip 1 and 2. That's the weird part. But you can't get to joy and not being disappointed without first having trouble. And then you have trouble and you go, all right, God, I'm not going to give up. I know this is a process. You're going to take this stuff and you're going to transform it into joy. So you have trouble and you go, I'm not giving up. And it produces patience. Patience is, I'm not giving up. God, I'm just going to trust you. I know it's going to work out. And those patience produce character, which character is, I know that this is going to work out, and I'm going to be defined by waiting on God and trusting him in this. That's character. It develops character in you. And then character produces hope. You're like, man, it's coming. you got hope. It's got this joy. And you're never disappointed. But oftentimes we just give up too soon. And we wonder why we don't have this joy inside us because we, we gave up too soon. We didn't stay engaged in the process. And notice it says there in verse 5, through the Holy Spirit. Have you ever seen somebody go through something, I mean like some real trouble, some real difficulties, and they go through it and they make it, and then you go, man, if that were me, I could never make it through that. You ever said something like that before? And you wonder, how could they do it? The Holy Spirit empowers you to stay engaged in the process so that you can one day have your grief Replace, note, transformed into joy. So you have the troubles going to produce some patience, going to produce some character, going to produce some hope so that it can be transformed into joy. So if you're going to live this real joy in your life, you have to recognize God's process, not through substitution, but through transformation. Don't- and here's the problem. These passages are not talking about God's process. You've stripped mind God's word and took out all the important parts of it to basically give us some kind of psychological counseling so that we can experience joy. These passages aren't about that. Don't give up. Come on, turn to the person next to you and say, don't give up. All right, so the question is, so how do I not give up? How do I stay engaged in the process? Jesus teaches us in the next few verses about focused prayer. Okay? Focused prayer. How many of you are the people when you're on vacation or doing something, you know, an activity, you're the, you're the picture taker? Who's, who are the picture takers in here? Okay. I have become the picture taker in our family. All right? And my kids get so annoyed with it. You know, we're on vacation somewhere, and I'm like, oh, go, we, we got to take a picture. And they go, okay, Dad, ruin the moment by taking a picture, you know? And I'm like, whatever, you're going to thank me one day. Because later, they do, right? They're looking through the photo albums. Oh, remember? It's because I took the picture. <laughs> right? I'm awesome. Don't forget it. All right. So, but when, when someone's taking a picture of you, Maybe you're in a group photo or something like that, and they take the picture and they go, hey, check this one out. And you look on the little lens to see, is it right? Is, is that a good picture to keep? You know what I'm talking about? All right. Who do you look at? You look at yourself. That's right. How do I look? Oh, my hair is good. My eyes are open. You couldn't care less if everybody else looks horrible. 
eyes all kind of all goofy looking. They, they picking their nose or something. Oh, that's a perfect one. Why? Because you look good. Right? Come on, that's the first thing we look at is we focus on self. It must be human nature. That's just, that's who we are. And I'm not even necessarily saying that's bad. But here's what I am saying. Prayer is a way for you to get your focus off yourself and onto God. All right? Because if you're going to have joy transformed, or the grief in your life transformed into joy, you can't be all self-focused. You have to learn how to get your focus on God because He's the one that does the transforming, right? And so your focus must be on Him. So Jesus describes this. Again, it's a strip-mining God's Word, finding these things we've got to do so that God will do this. Ay, ay, ay. Whole idea. He says, next couple of verses, on that day. Sir- yeah, now we're back into John chapter 16, which we've already established from the context, isn't teaching a process by which we can achieve joy. Circle those three words. We're, we're going to really break this down in a moment. He says, on that day, if you ask anything in my, uh, anything of the Father in my name, he'll give it to you. Ask and you will receive so that your joy may be complete. Now, on that day, this is, this is really important, all right? Grab this for a second. In the Greek, which is the original language of the New Testament, there are two words for like day or time or whatever. When we read the word day or time or something like that, there are two Greek words. One of them is chronos, all right? And that's where we get the word chronological from. It means a specific day. Or a time. So here we get another Greek lesson. Um, the problem is, is that knowing the Greek words here isn't going to help because you've completely missed the whole point of the passage when you put it back into its context. It's four o'clock. It's July fifteenth. Whatever it is, okay. That is chronological or chronos time. All right. That's one Greek word. The other Greek word would be kairos, which means a God ordained moment or season. Okay, now, on that day, on that day, chronologically, when you are faced with sorrow or grief or problems, on that chronos time, if you will keep your attention focused on God, he will take the chronos time that you use focusing on God, and he'll lead you to the moment of your kairos time where God will transform it into joy. Um, wow. I mean, seriously, this is about as biblical as having a wilderness experience. This is not what John 16 is saying at all, that if you have, if you trust, focus on God in the Kronos, he's going to make you have a Kairos breakthrough. It doesn't say that anywhere in John 16. So how you manage your Kronos time is going to determine when do you get your Kairos time. All right, that, that's really, I'm preaching a whole lot better than you're responding, but that's okay. <laughs> so here's, here's how you do that. On that day, on that... Here's how you do that. That's not what John 16 is saying. John 16 is not saying, here's how you take your chronos focus on God so that he can transform your suffering into kairos joy. That's not what John 16 teaches. That chronos day, when you're struggling, keep focused on God. He'll lead you to the kairos moment. So how do you do it? It says, and circle these, these words in this verse here. Ask, it's twice in there. 
If you ask anything of the Father in my name, he'll give it to you. Ask, there it is again, circle it, and you will receive so that your joy may be complete. Once again, remember, joy is about God transforming it, not about you substituting. So you ask God in your chronos time to lead you to a kairos time. Because the word ask really should be written this way. It got lost in the translation. It should read ask and keep on asking in my name. Ask the Father in my name and he'll give it to you. And then it says ask and keep on asking and you will receive. So it means a continual focus over and over and over again. That's, that's how you, you don't give up. You got to manage the crime. So he's turned this into some kind of method that Jesus is supposedly teaching there, and he's not. Most time by saying, "I'm not giving up. I'm going to keep trusting God until the Kairos moment comes." Because I know that even though this stuff is not like I want it, God is working something. He's transforming something inside me. And if you give up, you're never going to have that moment. That's where real joy comes from. So I was talking to my spin class instructor the other day. How, how, many, how many of you do spin, or have ever done spin class? Okay. All right, guys. Go, how many of you have ever done spin class? Come on. Oh, yeah. I, I do it. It'll kick your tail. I'm just telling you right now. Don't laugh. Try it. You'll throw up. All right. So, <laughs> so my, my instructor, Amy and I were the other day, we were at class, and, and we were talking to uh, this instructor at the, at the Y, and she was telling she goes to church here, and she said she came on first Wednesday here at East Bradenton campus. And we prayed for people to be healed. She has a problem in her knee. And, uh, and we called people down that needed something, a healing in their knee or their back or, or something. And so she came down for prayer. And she felt like God touched her. She was like, yes. And so she left and then went to her doctor's appointment. They did an MRI. And they said, your meniscus is like torn. You're going to have to have surgery. It's like, man, she was so discouraged. She was in that day, right? She's like, God, I thought God, I went got prayer. And and so she's like, how do I stay focused and keep trusting God? And then a friend of her, hers was telling her this. She said, uh, listen, I have trouble focusing on God, too. And I put my attention. Yeah, what if God chose to heal you through actual surgery? Too much on the wrong things. Not that they're bad things. I just don't put enough attention on God. So she's like, every day, the first thing I do, I get up and I open up Facebook. And so I'm checking that and everything. She said, that's the wrong focus. So they deleted Facebook off their phone. So the first thing that pops up, their app is the version app. Boom. And there's the Bible. That's focusing on God. That's taking care of in that day, in that chronos day when things aren't going right. It's focusing on God, asking and keep asking him. Again, Jesus isn't teaching any of this in John chapter 16. It's going to lead her to the Kairos moment. She's like, I'm not giving up. I'm trusting God that I'm not going to have to have surgery, and it's going to be healed. And, and then she says, and we all deal with this too, because then the devil tells you things. Well, you got prayed for, but it ain't any better. And then she comes down for prayer after service sometimes, and she's like, and the devil tells me, well, you've already received prayer. Why do you keep going up there? You Leave those people alone, you know? They got other people to pray for. And she's like, no, I got to keep going up there. And I told her, I said, you get down here every weekend praying for people. Don't give up. That's the ask and keep on asking. Ask and keep on asking. That's the focus we have to have. And if you don't manage your chronos by asking and keep on asking, you're never going to get to your kairos, which is the joy being complete. The process is done. You're in your kairos moment. 
Praise God, Randy. Woo! Good job. This is awesome stuff. All right. Yeah, there's nothing awesome about this because God's Word doesn't actually teach any of this. I hope you guys are getting something out of this because I am. All right. So you, you you see the joy, how it works. Don't substitute. Stay engaged. Let God transform your grief into joy. Stay focused. Ask. Keep on asking. Focused on God. Maybe you need to substitute some things in your life so they're not distractions i i've learned through my prayer time and spending time with god that i'm i'm easily distracted i have squirrel moments like all the time up here so i i had to turn my phone and stuff off otherwise it pop up you got a new email or it's a twitter oh, oh i'm kind of off to the races with that it's like i'm not focused i'm not getting anything out of my time with god i'm i'm never going to have a kairos moment if i'm not managing the chronos moment and some of you may be here and you've received prayer. Maybe you haven't yet. You're wondering, is God really going to answer this? Just keep coming for prayer. Tell your small group about it. Let them pray with you. Ask. Keep on asking. Keep on asking. Keep on asking. Keep on asking. I don't know when the Kairos moment is. It doesn't say that. If I knew that, I would tell you. God, I wish he'd... Yeah, and John 16 doesn't promise you a Kairos moment if you manage your Kronos moments. Tell me. That ought to be that ought to be the book of Randy. I ask, and you tell me, God, when it's going to happen. Okay, wouldn't that be great? Amen. That would be really good. But he doesn't do that. So keep on asking. Just stay engaged in the chronos. Manage it well so you can get to the kairos. The last point Jesus teaches us is all of this is done because we trust in God. You have to trust in, in the Lord. So Jesus says in John 16. 30, trust him for what? 33. So all of this stuff, he's like, okay, let me wrap, wrap it up. All right, everybody say, wrap it up. Okay, all right, ready to go eat. All right, <laughs> wrap it up. These things I have spoken to you. In other words, here's the reason why I'm telling you all of this. So that in me, you might have this peace, this assurance, this confidence. Because in the world, you're going to have tribulation. But take courage or, or to be of, of, of cheer. Cheer up, This, you know, joy, have joy. Because I have overcome the world. Not joy apart from problems, but joy in your problems. In the middle of them. Listen, heaven is better than Bradenton. And Sarasota too. All right. All right. It is better than Bradenton and Sarasota. So that means in this world, this place we love so much, there's still going to be troubles. So even in the middle of them, trust God. Your problem is not your problems. Your problem is your belief in God. So trust him. Don't give up. Yeah, I know it's hard sometimes. That's why you need the people around you. That's what small groups are all about. That's why you got to have, you keep coming for prayer. People building up your faith because you're going to have tribulations. So build your faith. Take courage. Keep trusting in God. Stay focused on him. So that you can have peace and your grief can be transformed into joy. Now, I couldn't help but as I was preparing this week to almost feel this pressure, if you will. Almost like you, some of you in here are feeling this. You're feeling this pressure almost like as if you can't breathe. You're like, 
you know, it's like this, the weight of the world of your problems or something is just, it's on you. And you don't know how something's going to turn out. And you're like, you, you, it's almost like you're, you're having a, not a panic attack, but almost like you have asthma. It's like you can't really catch your breath. And it's like these problems are choking the life out of you. And you need to know something to trust God. Trust God. Don't wave the white flag. Don't give up. Don't try to substitute. God's going to take that grief and he's going to transform it into joy. As David said, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, maybe you feel like you're in that, oh man, this pressure is on me. You know what I heard a preacher one time say, when you're going through hell, don't stop. <laughs> right? Okay, when you're going through the valley of the shadow of death, don't stop. Surely, goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. God is with you. Trust in Him. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? Done. <clears throat> so there he gave practical advice to uh, everybody uh, listening to him. The problem is, is that the advice that he gave actually isn't based upon a careful exegesis of the text. Although he, you know, quoted a couple of, you know, that he knew the definition of a couple of Greek words, uh, that didn't really help anybody because the text, the way he was using it, he wasn't paying any attention to what it actually said in context. So a sermon with some biblical texts in it that completely missed the point of those texts can easily be done, especially with... The idea that uh, you approach the text with the wrong presupposition, you're, you'll never be able to actually know what it means because your presupposition is blinding you and blocking you in your ability to actually see what the text is in reality saying. Ah, anyway, you get what I'm saying. What do you think? If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian. Follow me on Twitter, my name there, at pirate Christian. Till tomorrow, may God richly bless you in the grace and mercy won by Jesus Christ and his vicarious death on the cross for all of your sins. Amen. <laughs> <laughs>